Yeah, the end, I was encouraged by Mike that um, nothing makes you guys more happy than to say, and in closing, so I guess I could start with that, wouldn't that be, and in closing, no, um, and I, I would, go ahead, I'm going to, as we turn in our Bibles, if um, we're going to go to Psalm 119 this morning. Um, as you turn, I will let you know if you're new with us, you, you showed up, you didn't have a Bible, maybe your phone's not working, it doesn't scroll as well as it once did, there is a Bible in front of, in the chair in front of you, you can open that and join us, Psalm 119, um, if, it, if it hasn't become abundantly clear to you, um, if you are new with us, you're kind of probably getting to the point of understanding that um, we are kind of out of sorts this morning, and I don't mean out of sorts in a bad way, just that um, our shepherd, who we're a small flock, is has had the opportunity to go away, be gone for three weeks. We've been praying for him and his family, and so this is kind of the tail end, so you guys can, next week, you know we're getting back to normal. Um, you can be looking forward to that, but with that, I cannot tell you how excited that I have been to do this. Um, one, just to minister to Jim this way and min- hopefully minister to you. But I've been excited for one, I, I thank you because I know how much you guys have been praying for me this week. Um, this is not something I do on a regular basis, but I know you've been praying for me. And so I thank you for that. And I it, it has made me all the more delight to want to, it's like, I can't wait for Sunday. You know, as I was studying, it's like, I can't wait to get there to, to open up the word and to gaze into it, to behold Christ, to behold him in his word. And what better place to do that than Psalm 119? It's like, okay, yeah, I, I, see, I've got you all nervous. You're like, the whole thing? Like, we're going to go through the whole thing? No, we're not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but I wish we could. But I won't put you through that. At, um, I won't. Maybe the Spirit will. But I won't. So we're going to start in verse 89. So yes, enough suspense there. Psalm 119, verse 89. Um, and we're going to read three stanzas. And we're going to work through that passage. And um, we're going to delight in it this morning. So Psalm 119 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. 
I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. You know, we kind of jumped into the middle of this psalm, almost literally in the middle of this psalm, and yet it has been this way, these three stanzas, it has been this way up to this point, and it continues on in this just resounding meditation and exaltation into the glories and the excellencies of the Word of God. And so maybe if I put a title on a message today, it's more of a question we could ask ourselves. What is so great about the Bible? You know, over the past two weeks, since Jim's been gone, God has been gracious to us as a body. Um to have men stand in this pulpit and faithfully expound his word. We have been instructed to fear the Lord. We have been reminded that how we fear him displays how we love him. To fear the Lord is to take refuge in him and it causes us to draw nearer to him. It is this fear that allows us to see him clearly and it causes us to overcome this world. Because we cease to fear men and the things of this world, we have also been reminded that we need to put off sin and put on righteousness. To put off sin and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to, in effect, kill sin to ruthlessly root it out of our lives and in its stead we need the righteousness of Christ. That was from Zach Wilson, or Zach Morse, excuse me. As we put off carnality and we put on Christ, we are robed in new robes and we become a grace to the body and light shining in the dark for those in this world. That's been the last two weeks where God has 
has brought that to our remembrance and our, our mindset. And so in light of that, then we're asking ourselves, how do we fear God? How do we put off sin and put on righteousness? And the truth is that we live in a world where the effects of sin are clearly seen. I mean, we look around and we see it increasing every day. And it seems that not only is that it, it, it's increasing, but it's, it's doing so exponentially. I mean, what used to take generations to change, sometimes we turn around and we see it happening in weeks. And we blink, and, and what once was hidden in darkness is, is coming out. This is why we want to be a church that is centered on the gospel. That's why we want to remind ourselves of it. We need it in times like these, and so does this world. As the darkness grows, so does the searching I'm not used to this, so I guess I should maybe, maybe I won't have to, sorry. Let's do this. I don't want to have to switch them on. See, now I've already proved I'm not perfect, so we're good. We can move on from here. But the searching is increasing. And they are searching, the world is searching for something that's unshakable, something that they can hold on to, something in the darkness, and yet what they often settle for is a truth that is based mostly on how they feel. They have become truth unto themselves, and in the end they are never satisfied, never secure, and never find joy. And as the world goes, sadly, so has gone the church. So have gone you sometimes. So have I. Why? Maybe it's because we've allowed ourselves to feed on the wisdom of this world. We have allowed those who would deny God to subtly seep into our thinking. Our eyes, our minds, our hearts have been diverted. On the one hand, we have the gospel displayed, right? And in, it's, it's displayed in the person of Christ. And on the other hand, we have the wisdom of this world. We can fix our eyes on Jesus, or we can gaze on that, which is shifting and changing in these current times. You know, we could honestly ask ourselves, in what way or what are we fixing our eyes on that has caused this diversion of eyes and heart and mind? And, and it's not to say that there are not things out there, things that are pressing, things that are coming out at us that do not demand our attention, our focus, our energies... But it's important that what what the backdrop for us is when we are in the midst of those. It's important for us what is the 
outflow from where we come to engage in those. It will make all the difference in the world. And so we would ask ourselves, is there one thing that we can cling to, one thing we can fix our eyes on, and we know the answer. We know that we have to do what Jesus did, and that is fix our eyes on him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we ask ourselves the question, what is so great about the Bible? What we're asking ourselves or what we're telling ourselves, what we want to understand and discern and know is that it's it's important for us to look within its pages so that we can see Christ, so that we can see Jesus, so that we can fix our eyes on Him. Psalm 119 is a continuation, if you would, of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the integrity, not in the counsel of the wicked nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I misstands in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. This man shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water whose leaf does not wither and which brings forth its fruit in its season. Psalm 119 is a reflection upon the excellencies of the word of God for the man who takes delight in it. See, the psalmist knows that it's unchanging. He knows that it satisfies. He knows that it gives light to his way. He knows that it sustains him through affliction and he knows that it's worth making it his portion for all of eternity. Maybe to circle all the way back around, it teaches us to fear the Lord and it teaches us how to kill sin. So Psalm 119 is really just a reflection. And some would say that it, it wasn't actually written at one point in time, but that it's, it's rather a series of reflections throughout an entire lifetime. Is that this is the progressive viewpoint of, of one who has stayed his heart upon the word and has found it steadfast and sure and true. It's, it's obviously, it's the longest, if you were to, any book of the Bible, I mean, 176 verses contained. We don't have another chapter, another book that's this long. In fact, you could fit a good chunk of the Psalms itself within Psalm 119. And yet, it's, it's, it's got 176, and of those 176 verses, 175 of them mention the Word of God in some form 
or fashion. There is only one, verse 122, that it is not mentioned. So it's every verse is just an emphasis upon the glories and the excellencies of the word. Expounding to us, reminding of us that it is great. It's, it's composed cons, um, of 22 stanzas, so to speak. So it's basically, and it starts with the Hebrew alphabet. So there's one stanza for every letter of the alphabet. And in each stanza, every verse starts with that letter. So for us, if it was like A, the first one would start with A. And every verse would begin with an A. as it, And it works systematically, 22 stanzas on the glories of the word and the excellencies of the word of God. So we would ask ourselves again, what is so great about the Bible? Why do we need it? We could answer that question as good Christians, right? (laughs) Of course we need it. Why? Why do we need it? What does it do in us? What does it produce in us? And we you know, and and when we ask that question, I, I would encourage you to maybe ask that, what is so great about the Bible in lieu of, or in light of the struggle that we all face when it comes to making it our daily portion? And maybe, maybe you're one of those who, who is in it every day, who is opening the pages. I am grateful for that. I, I, I applaud you. But even many of those times, we could say that we've opened it and yet gone away without it being more than just pages, words on page. So there are three things that we're going to look at as we wrestle with what is so great about the Bible and why do we need it. And so the the first one that will be within the first stanza, so we'll take it one stanza at a time, three stanzas, three points, so to speak. Um, And the first one is the word stands firmly so we delight and are sustained. This is what we see within this first stanza is that the word stands firmly so we delight and we are sustained. Let's jump into this. In verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens, or it stands in the heavens. And this, the way that this is actually written, this forever actually applies both ways. So it's saying forever, Lord, and forever, your word. So it's, it's, it's applying to both here in this stance, which at, at the outset, he's declaring they are one in the same. They are co-eternal. They exist together and never apart from one another. You, O Lord, are forever. Your word, O Lord, is forever. So we see that it's, and when we say that it's, it's forever, what is it that we are, what are we saying? What is, he, it says that it stands, or it's established, or it's settled. 
what, what he's getting at is that it's immutable. It's unchanging. It's sure. It's fixed. It's been erected, and it, it, it goes nowhere. And so the psalmist right here in the middle is just, he's, this is his starting point. And he's, he's viewing the word of God from the standpoint that it's, it's sure. It's a sure bet. Hang your hat on it. You can hang the weight. We talked about suffering in the first hour. You can hang those sufferings upon this word. You can hang the trials of life upon this word. It is fixed. It stands forever. And, and he doesn't just mention that here, but in, in, 80, in 89, but in 93. Um, he begins to mention, let me actually say this, that um, those two are working together. And I, and I want you to see that in Scripture, because when, when we talk about the Word, sometimes we want to open the Word, and we want to go do it, right? It's like, well, it says that, so, okay, I think I can do that. And I'm, I'm over here busy trying to figure out how this is done. And yet notice, again, the connection between the Word and the Father, the Word and God, the everlasting God, the everlasting Word. Notice these frames. He says in verse 93, we get the glimpse of them together, okay? 93, for in the later half, for by them you have given life to me. In 98, he says, you, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. In verse 102, I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. 107, revive me, O Lord. 108, O Lord, teach me your judgments. Do you see the connection here is that if we try to entertain or, or open this word and we try to do it apart from the one who is imparting it, it's fruitful, fruitless in our lives. If we look also in that portion, 89 um, where he begins to talk about, notice these things where he says that your, your word is settled in heaven in 89. In 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations and you establish the earth and it abides and they continue this day according to your ordinances. Do you see this, this word? It's settled in the heavens. The heavens, all generations and the earth are established and continue through his word. All three of those things. There's nothing, if you look at that purview, the heavens, the earth, and all generations, there is nothing that is not sustained by this word. And if God can establish the earth and cause it to stand let me tell you this. How much more can he not do that for your life? That eternal word has become flesh and dwelt among us. That eternal word has laid down his life for us. 
that eternal word has drawn near through the cross. So it is with assurance as we look to the word that we know that it's steadfast and it's firm and it's sure that, that we count on it and we give him our life and we know that all things are in subjection to his word. It says that all things in 93, or sorry, 91, that they are all your servants. So, so everything obeys that word. So shouldn't our, our lives, who we are, obey that word? Um, But this is what I really love. And 92, I think, is a high point of this stanza. Because notice how the psalmist says, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. <laughs> and, and, and I've been wrestling with this. And, and almost, you know, it's like somebody ought to put rocks in my pockets because I'm probably going to take off a little bit. But the understanding that in the midst of affliction, because suffering comes, affliction comes, that in the midst of that, the word was not just there. The word being there did nothing for the psalmist. And I don't want to take away from the word, right? But what specifically about the word sustained him in the midst of that suffering? It was a delight in the word. He says, if your word had not been my delight, then I would have perished. I would have read it, I would have looked at it, I would have said, hey, that's great, but life stings and I'm perishing. But instead, he's looking at this. And, and I was going to get this into this in the second stanza, but I want you to think about this for a second. When the psalmist is referring to this, when he talks about in 97, when he says, your law, we'll get there. And these phrases, there's 10 of them. I, I did not mention that before, but there's 10 different ways which he refers to the word in his precepts and his commands and his testimonies and his, his, whether it's the word, it's the law, his sayings. There's 10 different ways. But what he is coming from, what he's basing that off of, is not what we think about when we think about the word. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the first five. He's talking about the law. This is what he's saying. That... That stuff that we have a hard time, that we want to fall asleep when we read, the stuff that we have a hard time even, like, what in the world are you talking about? This has been his delight. This has been his sustenance within affliction. So as we think about this, it's such a microcosm of what we have. And yet it still has been worth him crying out, my delight, O oh God, is your law, it's your word, it has sustained me in my affliction. And he says, I will never forget it. I wish I could make that statement. Like, I won't forget it. It's like, no, we do. So often we read and then we walk away and we forget it. So, so how is it that the psalmist has not forgotten the word? And I think that answers the question, why suffering? Why the hard times? Because to know the precepts of God, we have to have studied them. But in studying, there's no assurance that we will not forget. But 
when they have been worked out in our lives by grace through adversity and we know that we had perished without them, we cling to them. We do not soon forget them. And so when we catch ourselves in the midst of the hard times of life, what is it that we are learning to do? That is to delight in the law and in the word of God. And he ends this stanza. Oh, well, in 95, this is another interesting point which comes up twice. But the wicked wait for me to destroy me. And we have a, a kind of another picture of this over in 110 when he says, The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. And it's very interesting that even when we're not just fi- facing like affliction in life, but we're facing opposition... The psalmist reminds us, don't put your eyes on them. Don't look at them. He says, oh Lord, even when they laid the snares, even when they wait for me to destroy them, me, I fix my gaze on you. I look straight ahead. I press on even though there are those things that I don't see and don't know about, those things that lay in wait to destroy me and devour me, I fix my eyes. And he says, I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In other words, when I look around and I see perfection in this world, and it's like, hey, wow, that was well done, that's great. He says, and then I compare that to your word. This word that says your, your, your word is broad, it's broad in its perfection. Like it's, its perfection is so wide, so high, so vast that it pales. What, what it causes is that its perfection, the perfection of the word is its glory, but it's also the death of all our glorying in our perfection. When we behold the word and its perfection, it's like, there's nothing else. It takes away my own self-righteousness. It takes away my own hope or, or self-sufficiency, so to speak. Satisfaction in what I do. And so here he is. He's like, your word is so perfect. He has looked into the pages of the law of God and he has found a delight. He has found perfection. And that is what leads us to this, this second thing where, where the, uh, in the second stanza where we would see that the word satisfies fully so we love it and we hate evil. He says, your word is so excellent. So he, he exclaims here in 97, oh, how I love your law. This is a good thing. I think a lot of us have made explanation, exclamations. There we go. Get the right word. Exclamations like this. Oh, my gosh. That was so amazing. This, we had such an amazing time. It was so good. We're expressing something within us that was fully satisfied. 
And that's what the psalmist is doing. Oh, how I love your law. Again, that law. Again, we're thinking more like Ten Commandments kind of thing than we are thinking like Epistle of Paul kind of thing. You know, and if he can look into the law, the very thing, this is, this is what I don't get. What does it mean to love the very thing that corrects and rebukes and instructs you? This is a delight. No, thanks, I'm passing on that one. You know, this is not fun. I, I'll wait for the fun stuff, but this is, this is the hard stuff. And he's saying, no, this is the delight. This is the good. This is the best. Is it possible for us to love it even more? And I say that because we have seen it embodied in the person of Jesus. We have seen the cross. He didn't get to see that. That was pointing forward to Jesus. We have seen Jesus who came and fulfilled that very law. Lived perfectly on our behalf for us. Died in our stead. Bearing the wrath of God for us. Is it possible that maybe we might not even find a greater delight than the psalmist would? Just a question. I think it's possible. I don't know. The language the psalmist uses is, is very strong. It's very convincing. He says, I love it and it is my meditation all the day. I love it or I meditate on it which makes me love it. And then because I love it, what am I going to do? I'm going to go I'm going to go look into it more. I'm going to go ponder it more. I'm going to go think about it more. I'm going to go chew on it more. I am going to find more delight in it. I'm going to meditate on it more. And Psalm 1, if we went over there, would say, "Well, happy is that man whose delight is the Lord." So he gets into a little bit of an interesting deal in these next three verses. He says, You through your commands, commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. Notice these things that, that, that there is a wisdom that's being imparted here. Notice that it's, it's wiser than enemies, more understanding than a teacher, and more understanding than the ancients or the aged. So one, even though there are those in this world that would come against us, we don't go out to do battle with them, we go to their, the word. And in soaking and in settling in the word of God and then going to live that out, that is when 
there's wisdom greater than enemies, wiser than enemies, those that would seek to set a trap, those that would seek our destruction. And yet here is this wisdom that is far greater than that. It is our stay. It is our safety. It keeps us from harm. But it's, it's also, when you think of a teacher, the one that's imparting wisdom, the one that's imparting understanding. And this is not arrogance on the part of the psalmist to say that I have more understanding than my teachers or I have more understanding than the person who has lived a long life and has, and has, had, has learned many things. What he's talking about is not the emphasis is not upon himself. The emphasis that's being given here is that the word is so excellent. The word is so wise. The word is wiser than my enemies. The word has more understanding than teachers. The word knows more than that person who has applied wisdom for a lifetime. And so he says, I love it because it is, it's so far greater than any of these. S- Charles Spurgeon said this, the letter can make us knowing, but only the spirit can make us wise. There is a difference between reading and living the word. And I think that that's what we really see with the psalmist is that that what he is putting forth for us is not a knowledge, not just a a head knowledge of the things that he's seen, but the fact that 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 knowledge maybe that started in his head has has been fleshed out in his life through circumstances. And notice the progression. And I don't know if it's an intended progression within these three verses. But he says that your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. And notice that, that they are with him. He is meditating on them, and then he is keeping them. So this is the progress of the word, why we need it, but it's, it's not enough just to have it with us. We must open it. And when we open it, then we must live it. And because of this, we could then say with the psalmist, I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. I have found it sure. I have applied it to my life. You have taught me. Again, notice the connection. We, we wind up so powerless when we go out on our own to just make this thing happen in our lives, right? The Bible said it, so I'm doing it. And it works for like 30 seconds. And then it's not working anymore. So it's, the, it's God himself who is teaching. God himself who is instructing. God himself who is keeping. But when we apply our hearts to that. Then it bears fruit. 103. Here's another exclamation. 
Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, in those days, they didn't have a such thing as sugar. And so honey was their form of sweetness. How many of you ever popped something into your mouth and it was like, mm-hmm. you know, my son does this. I love, I love watching him. He is a sugar addict, I guess. So we kind of do that withholding thing. But the other day I was watching him and he has no clue anybody's watching him, you know, and I can't remember what it was. I don't know whether it was a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he grabs that spoon and, you know, and there's commotion going on. He's lost in his own little world and he grabs that spoon and he puts it in his mouth and he puts that bite. Mm, and his eye- eyelids start fluttering and his eyeballs roll like, and, and then just this wave of, oh, my goodness, this is so good. And he does that on a regular basis, this just pure delight in sweetness. And that's what the psalmist is kind of doing, this wave of just, oh, how sweet are your words to my taste. They are sweeter than honey to my mouth. And the problem is, once you've had something sweet, what happens when you eat something not sweet? It's flavorless. It's, ugh. Like, how many of you had, like, now, I, I apologize, but how many of you that, I, even if you would like dark chocolate, but you've had milk chocolate, and then you tried dark chocolate. It's like the half kind of sweet. You're like, what happened to this? You know? Now, for some of you that are like, oh, that was way too sweet. So I get that. I understand that. But then there's, like, maybe that person that has, like, that cup of coffee with all the creamer in it, and then you hand them that cup of coffee that's straight black. They're like, oh, ee, can't do that. You know, I mean, you pick your thing, but, but where I'm going with that is that he says through your precepts in 104, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So this sweetness, this delight, it just leaves bland. So, so many other things. So to the point where it's just, I abhor that. And this, therefore I hate every false way, kind of reflects 101 where he says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way. And the restraint is not that we simply determine we will not go down that road. But it's that we have determined to love his law. And in finding delight there, we are kept from the wicked and evil ways. And it comes to a point in our life where it's not even so much like, I wish I could, but I shouldn't. Where we just look at it and say, I have no desire to choose that way. I find no delight in it. Oh, but my God, in His way, how sweet. How sweet. So that's the second thing. The word satisfies fully and we love it and hate evil. And the third thing is that the word shines faithfully. So we rejoice in it and we are made faithful. Common verse, your word in 105 is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I guess what we're seeing a little bit within this stanza is that the word is the only beacon of light in the darkness and storms of this world. It's not a light. It is the only light. 
It shines forth. It's a light to the path that brings us joy and faithful obedience in us. He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Those are two different things, in my opinion. Is that if you are in darkness, there's two things that you need to know. And one is where you're standing, where you're stepping, right here, right? You know, if you've ever had a little bitty light and you're in darkness, sometimes that's all you can see to make sure that your steps are sure and secure. And sometimes, you know, you're walking along in the dark and you, you step somewhere and all of a sudden you're like, that didn't sound right, that didn't feel right, I don't know where I'm at. And so you're shining your light to figure out where do I stand. So, so there's two things. One is, where do I currently stand and where, what am I stepping upon and is my footing sure? So he says, the word is a lamp to my feet, but not only is it a lamp to my feet, which is all that we get when we shine the little flashlights, right? But he says, it's, it's making sure my step making known my step, but it's also shining out and showing me the way. I, I, <laughs> I do not get lost. I don't. I, you can ask my family. It's kind of the, been this thing about maps. I'm a map guy. I was always a selfish map guy and they were like why don't you share the map because I want to know where I'm going and I don't get lost but last year I was hunting with my brother right up here on the mountain we left camp one morning to in the dark to hoof out and get to a certain location and all we had were these headlamps and so we trucked out it was like where we, we knew we had it head east and so we left camp headed east and we were walking with these little lights and sure enough, I don't know how in the world we did it, we walked in one complete circle, only looking at our feet. The Word of God is good for our feet, but it lights our way. <laughs> and when you know you're lost, that's a helpless feeling. <laughs> it's like, I know I am not supposed to be, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I don't know where I am. And the word never leaves us there. It's sure. It's steadfast. It shines faithfully. Illuminating our way. It allows us the ability to act with confidence and conviction. I don't have to question that next step. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm headed. But you know, when we have committed our way, in verse 106, he says, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. What often follows that? When we set our hearts to do the will of God, when we set our hearts to follow in his way, what often follows on the tails of that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know it's coming. It's the next three verses, I'm afflicted very much. And in verse, in 107, and in 109, he says, my life is continually in my hands. Testing, maybe it's testing, maybe it's trial, 
But it's coming. It's, it's not going to be just this easy way, this easy road. It's in darkness, remember? He says, I am afflicted very much. So he cries out, revive me, O Lord. Again, this is one of those verses where it's saying, you enact your word within me. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. You do it. I'm failing I'm afflicted. I'm struggling. You revive me. He also... That reminder in 109 says, my life is continually in my hand. But he says, yet I do not. When he says my life is continually in my hand, like it's, 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 it's almost over. It's, it's very, you know, it's, life is fleeting. It's vanishing. It's, it's, it's here in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. It's not worried. Have you, have you heard one ounce of concern for his well-being. What the psalmist reminds us is that he has an outward look and his work, his, his, his gaze, his look rests upon the sure word of God that is shining faithfully. And so he rejoices in that. The other thing that he says in the midst of affliction in 108, because I skipped over that a little bit, if you notice that, he says, except I pray the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. So on the one hand, he is offering not the sacrifices that are required, but the freewill offerings from his mouth. In other words, these are my voluntary acts of worship to you. Receive them, O Lord, and in return, teach me your judgments. That's in the middle of the affliction of 107 and 109. Is that he is singing up praise and worship and petitioning for more instruction in this, law, in this law and in this word. And then the last two verses. This is like the crescendo. Because I'm sure you guys are ready to end. I'm not like, I, I was like, let's, let's keep going. But the last two verses, your testimonies. Remember, we said his word is shining faithfully. It shines in the darkness. It shines in tribulation and trials. What does that produce in us? Rejoicing and faithfulness. So in verse 11, we see rejoicing. He says, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage or an inheritance forever." For they are the rejoicing of my heart. You know, there's a very interesting thing about this inheritance. How do you normally get an inheritance? It's given. Somebody determines what you shall receive. And in one way we have. I don't want to say the Bible doesn't say that. Ephesians chapter 1 is great. We have received an inheritance in the heavens in heavenly places. But yet there is an action here. The psalmist says that he says, I reach out and I take this and I say, I want this 
to be my inheritance. And there's a reason why he reaches out and makes that eternal declaration that my inheritance, what I have for the rest of my life, I want it because it, is, it rejoices my heart. What does that tell us about our hearts and how good it is when experience, when we experience this word of God and it ripens into joy. How good that is for us because joy drives our eternal desires. You see that? He says, because this is so joyful to me, I want it forever. You know, because think back to my son and rolling the eyes with the sweetness. He's like, I just want that moment on and on and on and on. When this truth pushes up through sorrow, through prayer, conflict, hope, contentment, but it, it ends in rejoicing, how fruitful that has been for us that grace has worked in such a way that it, the end result is joy and delight in us for his word. And then the other thing is that, so, so he's, he's made that, he's like, I want this forever. And then he says, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. A heart that has gazed into an eternal word. A word that will stand forever. A word that revives men and sustains all things. A word that cannot be prevailed upon. A word that is so sweet and so satisfying. One that has been made bright the, has made bright the path we trod and secures the steps we take. A heart that has looked into that word. We'll choose it for all of eternity and will incline itself to obey it forever to the very end because it is faithful. Because it is faithful, we are made faithful. I have inclined my heart to your word. You have made sure my step forever. When I struggle, and I know that this is 